Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about working with architects with the help of special guest Jason Stearns of Jeff King and Company. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Tim Fowler Show. I am Tim Fowler, and you know I always want to say I am Tim the Tool Man, but I know that's the wrong show. But anyway, let's get started here. So I've been making a point of letting everybody know that um, if you have an idea for a show that you want us to do, please send me an email at tim at remodelersadvantage.com. Today's topic was sent in by one of our listeners, and uh, he suggested that we do some uh, conversation about working with architects. And so I immediately thought of Jeff King and company in the San Francisco area. And uh, we're really lucky to have his production manager on uh, with us today. Many of the folks who are listening to this podcast work primarily in design build. In other words, they do the design or they keep the design in-house. And then, of course, there are many that use the architect uh, remodeler uh, model. So I guess and I suspect there's a lot of different ways uh, to make this work. Uh, Some take the architect's plans and then work exclusively with the client to build the product. In other words, all the architect is doing is supplying plans and maybe some scope of work. And then others have the architect involved through the entire project with updates and revisions and clarifications. And so uh, we're going to be exploring some of that today. And uh, I look forward to that. My experience with architects is relatively limited. So I'm going to learn a lot. Uh, When I worked as a production manager, we actually formed a team with an architectural firm, and that's how we built our custom homes. And so from day one, the architects were on our team, and we worked with them to develop a budget, develop the plans. Of course, they did the drawing and the design, but we were involved uh, in that. And it worked out very well for us. I, I think that was where I learned to really appreciate the design value of architecture. I think before that, I was kind of like, just give me square walls and a roof, you know, let me just build something. And then I started going, looking back and like, that really looks cool. So I think because the architects are independent players and because uh, we have remodelers that are very independent, I think one of the things that it brings to mind is that communication is, is such a big deal. It becomes a really huge part of this process. So Steve, I know you were in this business for a little while as a contractor. Any experience with architects on your end? I'm with you, Tim. It was very limited. Uh, But, you know, I do talk to remodeling companies throughout the country, and it really seems like there's many that are just one or the other. You're a design build firm or you work with architects. So I think there's going to be a lot of help here talking to Jason because, you know, design build has its processes, and then there's – Many different ways you can work with architects. So I'm really excited to talk to Jason. Yeah, let's get started. 
All right. Jason Stearns has been working in the high-end residential market in San Francisco for almost 30 years and joined Jeff King and Company as director of production in 2017. Since that time, he has helped implement the use of Procore for all production teams, standardized the project scheduling formats, and started a weighted numeric skills assessment system for evaluating the carpentry and labor staff to identify needed training and advancement. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. So uh, as I indicated in the introduction, there's a lot of different ways that people work with architects. And so why don't you give us an idea from the Jeff King and company? What, how do you work with architects? What, what, what is their involvement? Uh, well, we work in the, the model of uh, each project is going to have a different architect. Uh, we, we Back before 2015, we did do design build where we you know worked in a specific team, like you mentioned. But since then, we've been moving more and more to uh, establishing relationships with uh, our multiple firms in the San Francisco area. Yeah, so what... Just give us an idea of the size of projects you guys are working on. Are they like $100,000 kitchens or are they? Uh, well, we are actually moving towards, that's a, a good question because we just recently had a uh, uh, annual retreat for the, the leadership team to go over strategic planning. And we want to be moving more towards uh, larger scale projects. So we're looking for, you know, average of uh, one and a half to two and a half million dollars. But we also want to be in a position where we can take on, you know, six, seven million dollar projects as, as uh, they make themselves available. Um, and so that really does put us in a position where we need to develop these relationships with, uh, you know, the, the blue chip architects around the area because, uh uh, we rely heavily on referral and uh, the reputation of the projects that we did before and the company. Um, so let's just, I assume that Jeff, uh, the owner, yeah. might have that initial contact with the architect. That's right. And then that shifts over to you or to your staff. How does that so yeah, yeah, so Jeff is is uh, establishing those relationships and, and, and bringing in the work that way. We typically sign clients up on a pre-construction uh, contract and develop the project uh, through, you know, working with the architect. Uh, typically, we're not getting completed sets of drawings. We're getting preliminary drawings or design development drawings. Um, and uh, at a point... Uh, where they have, you know, the architecture team and our estimate, everybody feels like we can move forward on that. We'll sign the construction contract and then that will uh, get passed over to production. And then we start looking at it. So just in your, in your impression, because I think the way a lot of remodelers feel is that architects plans are only, and I'm just going to go way low to kind of exaggerate the point. They're only about half done. So, from, uh, if from, that. Oh, okay. So you agree with me? <laughs> if that. Yeah, no, actually, it's an interesting thing because uh, for most of my career, you never got a complete set of drawings, you know, okay. it, all the specifications that you want and all that. Everything worked out. For whatever reason, we are seeing more and more projects going to production where I wouldn't even say we're necessarily 50% done. Okay. On the 
uh, construction documents. Uh, right. They still may be designing, but there's an urgency there. And right. so we'll sign them up. Uh, we'll give a you know control budget and start production and just kind of let things fall in. So they want to do a value engineering through that process as well. Um, and that puts a lot of stress on the production team, right, in terms of being able to uh, manage the work, stay on top of your budgets, um, manage the schedule, right? Because if yeah. you think your scope of work for, you know, we, we started a project recently where, um, you know, we had about $300,000 worth of concrete. And as they developed the plans, now we're moving that around and suddenly at $450,000. And you thought you had eight weeks or six weeks to do that. Now we're looking at pushing 10 weeks um, to get all that work done. So, so how, do, how do you control that or, or do you have any control over it? Because that's one of the things I know that design, true design build firms really relish is like, this is our baby and we can control the decision-making process. How do you actually work with the architect to make sure that you're getting the information at when you need it or as you need it? Well, you got to be, it, it's, it's kind of an art. I mean, you, because... <laughs> Obviously, we want to establish a good working relationship that's going to lead to more work. So we don't want to press too hard on it, but you got to be really firm and direct and clear with them about what the needs of the project are. So, you know, wherever we are when we get that, when we go to production, you know, right, we're going to create a, a schedule and that is working off of the budget that we've got right there. Right. And so we'll use the schedule to identify milestones to put in front of the architect and the owner saying, okay, because more often than not, the owner also, regardless of where the design is and where the architecture is, they still have an idea about when they want to be done and how much they want to spend. Right. And right. So you build your schedule towards that. You start laying out milestones saying, we need this decision by this date. We need these documents by this date. We need this uh, door, plumbing, electrical, whatever schedule by this date, if we are going to have any chance of meeting that deadline. And uh, one of the things I'm trying to implement with our guys is a more rigorous use of that schedule. So it's not a doc, it's a living document and you can keep referring to it because then it puts you in a position of saying, you know, I'm not just making this stuff up because I want to be done with this project. I'm telling you what the schedule is telling me. And it puts it gives you a little bit more leverage, right? Because now it's not like a question of opinion. It's about what it, what's that Gantt chart actually say? And right. you can argue with those numbers, right? Now, do you actually do this in a, like a job site meeting? Or let's just suppose you're, you're past your your concrete phase and now we're on to framing and other things. And do you actually have a meeting on site to do this or is this yeah. an office space meeting? Uh, typically they're on site. Um, okay. If the site conditions allow it, um, right. and they usually do. So we'll have that meeting on site and uh, we'll use it, have that once a week meeting. Okay. So, and the PM comes in, the production team will go into that meeting with an agenda of the things that we need to, you know, put in front of the architect and the owner so that they're making their decisions in a timely fashion. Okay. And then is there, is there any way that 
your conversations have any teeth? I guess maybe is there a way that you use that really helps emphasize how critical this is other than we're going to go over schedule and go over budget? Or I, I guess I'm trying to see with all these independent entities, how do you get people to work to your side of things, if at all possible? Well, again, I think that having the metrics of a schedule and a budget uh, puts it into an objective perspective, right? If uh, my subcontractor is telling me that the the concrete and framing phase is going to take X amount of time um, and we don't have all the information or you're still designing half the project, uh, it's pretty easy to to point to that and say, you know what, I can't do anything about that. It's going to take this much time plus however long it takes your architect to complete their process. Right, right. So that's usually yeah. pretty effective. So I guess one of the other questions that tends to come up a lot, and this is what's interesting about this conversation is an awful lot of it is exactly the same right. as in in-house design build. There's no... There's no magic bullet just because it's an architect or it's in-house. But how do you manage the difference between what the client wants and what the architect wants? And maybe even in that area of, you know, the the architect has a design in mind, but the client doesn't want to pay for that aspect, you know, what it's going to cost to really do that. Well, the first thing is communications, right? Right. And, and documenting things so that, you know, when we go to contract with them, we are very clear about what's excluded or included in the scope of work um, as uh, based on, you know, the information we've got at the time. One of the problems we do find in these scenarios is that um, the architects will continue to design. They say that they're doing construction drawings, which you would think is just, you know, giving you the technical information on how to build it, but in fact, they're actually changing things and that makes it really hard on the production team to track all that and, and make sure that things, the architect didn't slip through something. So, you know, the written communications is, is paramount uh, and keeping a paper trail on that. Um, and then uh, staying ahead on your change orders, right? Uh, you you got to get ahead. You can't be in a situation where you're coming back after work is in place and saying, hey, this actually cost us this much money. We told you it was going to be this, so can you give me a, a change order? you got to be telling people, as soon as you can see it, uh, and that you're going to issue an RFI saying, hey, you know, we need this information by this date, or what is this information that what do you want me to do here? You know, if it smells like it's going to be a change order, we're going to put it into an RFI, a request for information to make it a formal thing so that, you know, everybody on the team is seeing that um, this is information that's critical to the success of the project, to the critical path. So, so Jason, uh, you know, San Francisco is a little bit of a bubble. I've never heard of a place that has as many 
firms that work with architects as, as you know, it, just California yeah. in general. So just talking to people nationwide, uh, what do you what would you say is the best way for you to uh, cultivate relationships with architects? And then from there, what percentage do you expect the architect to bring you work or for you to uh, bring in the architect after the clients found you? No, that's a good question. Uh, since you are thinking about the long term, uh, there's kind of a give and take, right? The architects mm -hmm. throw us a project. Uh, we get a, somebody comes to us, they saw something that we built and, you know, then we refer that client back to the architect. So there's a give and take takes that goes on there. So that's an important part of it in terms of establishing and developing that relationship. Um, it is our portfolio. What have we done in the past? Who have we worked with in the past? Um, it's just kind of being dogged about calling them up and saying, Hey, can we go to lunch? Can we talk about mm -hmm. you know, projects that you got? Here's what, who we are and what we do. Yeah. I know just knowing Jeff a little bit too. Uh, he's just the kind of guy you, you like when you meet him. And, right. Uh, right. Has a lot of, a, a lot of appeal. And I think his part of the success has to do with him being that person that Develops well, we're really fortunate. I mean, we have a, I think we have a very solid reputation in, in, in this market, and that really does help us a lot. Yeah, that makes a big difference. Yeah. I was wondering a little bit about, like, you talk about the RFI, you talk about change orders. Um, are you using any kind of electronic filing systems for all this paperwork, or does your project manager just have this gigantic paper binder on on? On you know, site. We are, we're committed to going as paperless as possible. And so okay. shortly after I started with the company, uh, I had been uh, introduced to uh, a software package called Procore uh, okay. at another company. And had, we had started it there. And when I started with Jeff King and company, I saw an opportunity. They were actually in that conversation uh, looking at a few different uh, uh, products out there. And we ended up going with the Procore because it's a pretty robust tool um, and it covers uh, everything from uh, issuing uh, your RFPs in the bidding phase uh, to your submittals and generating RFIs and change orders and managing your punch list at the end. Um, and it's got a great tool for keeping your daily logs. So we're moving more and more to put all of our projects on Procore. Wow. It's, it's, it's web-based, you know, all the information is up on the cloud. Anybody can access it. You can, uh, the site supers can use their smartphones or a tablet to do the input. Um, so it's a really good way of managing uh, the information, which, you know, that's a large percentage of what the production team's job is, is just managing that information. Yeah, I think we're moving more and more towards the cloud-based programs where yeah. we have access to every that information. So in your company, who has the most interaction with the architect once the job starts? Uh, the production team of the site super and the production manager. Um, the, they split their roles. Obviously the site super is dealing more with the build side of things. And so they're going to be generating more RFIs um, and the production manager is going to be generating the PCOs, the change orders that come out of those RFIs. 
Um, and but they're both uh, in contact with the architect on a daily basis. So I guess maybe I misspoke earlier. Are you not the production manager? You're the director of production, and then there is a production manager. No, I'm the director of production. We hand off the the production teams are the project manager and the site super. I got it. Okay. So. Okay. Very good. So if you were gonna like recommend something for anybody listening in, like they said, wow, we have good architects in our town. We, you know, feel like that would be a great uh, way for us to go. What would you recommend in terms of working with them? I guess more so than developing the relationship, but working with them. Working with them. Um, I think I would go back to the information management um, and getting some kind of system uh, that standardizes how you collect and store information. So whether you're using a Procore or another uh, software program, or, you know, you want to do it on paper and Excel sheets and sort of that sort of thing. Um, You just need to be really rigorous uh, about that. Um, Because, you know, in my experience, I've actually, unfortunately, uh, ended up in arbitration over a project and we prevailed and we prevailed prevailed because of the paperwork, because we had our records in order and, and so we could prove our case. So, yeah, you know, I, I've, talk to companies all the time and I talk about job logs and I talk about paperwork and they all kind of like the eyes glaze over and they just, and then I, I know I now have three companies that I can refer to that have gone to some kind of arbitration and I never name names, but, but just the, the old, the other two, one of them lost everything. Uh They lost, they lost the case completely. The second one lost half. In other words, they got half their money right. because they had some documentation and you guys won the whole thing. So I'm glad I have that yes. <laughs> as yeah. an illustration to just get the paperwork working so that everybody documents what they're supposed to, what they do and, and why they do it and that sort of thing. Do you, yeah. use, a, do you use a form for your job logs, uh, especially because you're working with the architects or certain things that you want to make sure your site supers and your project managers put onto those yeah, job Well, we had before uh, an Excel um, version of the Green Book. Uh, that's that standard template. Um, I moved us, uh, part of my wanting to move over to Procore was because I had found in the past looking at it that it gave you uh, just more information to capture. Okay. Um, you know, as I tell my guys that what I'm looking for in the, that daily log is um, commitments to action, right? What did we do? Who's going to do it? And who's following up on that? Um, and and I just found that the Procore gives me more opportunities to catch, capture all that between what is, uh, you know, who are the subcontractors on site? Who what labor do we have on site? What work's going on? But then also, you know, who are the visitors? What phone calls? Um, what emails? And that sort of thing. So, right. And, and it, it's nice because it's easy. It's user friendly. You know, you yeah. pull, out, pull down menus and stuff like that. So I'm trying to make it as easy for the guys out in the field to capture that information because I, I get that it's, it might be feel like a bit of a chore and it's not <laughs> what they got into this business to do. It's just right. stuff. And now we're saying, Hey, you got to keep all this paperwork. And it kind of 
Like I said, so, their eyes glaze over. Yeah, so let's go back to the change orders for just yes. a second. So is the change order with the client or is the change order with the architect? And then how do those two interact in, in getting this change order written? So um, ultimately, the, the change order is with the client. Right. It's, there, it's with the prime contract. Um, and But the architect will play a role in that, um, you know, either providing us information that we need to, you know, fill out what that change is right. or just reviewing it. And it depends on the relationship, the contractual relationship between the architect and the client. Um, you know, sometimes the, that relationship includes reviewing the finances. Not always, though. Okay. Um, and, and so if it's... If, they're reviewing the finances, they'll get CC'd on the change order and sign off on it. So yeah, that's a reasonable change order. So do you ever have that situation where the architect says, come on, Jason, it shouldn't be that much. You know, it should only be, you know, sure. $2,500 yeah. yeah. and not three. Yeah. How, how does that work out? Well, um, usually in our favor. I mean, I've never <laughs> had it where they push back and we couldn't, Hooray! Hooray for you! Well, you know, I mean, it's like we're we're not trying to gouge anybody. So, I mean, we're we're really transparent about our our numbers. And so, if I can show them that here's the drawing you gave me that changes that scope of work, here's the pricing that I got from my subcontractors for that, here's the work that we needed to do, and the incidental work, it's all itemized, right? Okay. It's not we're not just saying it's five thousand dollars. With work, we're not showing. Oh, okay, it's, okay. It's that itemization. Okay, yeah, because I think that's one of the other things that remodelers who do design build just worry about is having that third party in there bending the client's ear, saying, yeah. "You know, it shouldn't be that much. Don't sign that. We can get them down. Whatever, whatever. You know, hocus pocus. We dream up about it. We just don't." We just don't want that third party in there. Well, sure, obviously. I mean, when you're working with uh, architects, a lot of times um, they're asking us for the prime contract. They're asking us to use the AIA right. as opposed to one that we just created. So it's much. It's a bigger document. Right. gives typically preferences the position of the architect to right. call the jobs. The shots, um, and so you just kind of get used to that, and right. you just go, okay, this is the game that we're going to do, and so we need to uh, prepare for that by, you know, making sure we've got everything uh, itemized in our estimates and our change orders, and we can identify exactly what exclusions we we're carrying, um, and so that doesn't give that. There's no debate there right there's no mysterious number or something hiding behind there we're just this is what it is okay cool so as we wind this down jason uh just uh i know no i think what you're going to say is communication and documentation yeah uh, but, make, <laughs> but but making this work just give us a little nugget about uh about making this whole relationship work well so um we identify the architects and I think this is really important is I, we identify the architect, the design team as one of our clients. Right. Okay. So, so not only are we here to provide a great product 
for a, a great result for the client. But we also want to have that happen with the architect as well. So that we're, how do I put this? We want to deliver their vision to the best of our ability and the, and the you know, practicalities of, of what the project right. is. Um, and in the end, that actually uh, is really rewarding. You okay. know, in my experience, it's just as rewarding to have the architect stand back and look at what you've done at the end and go, wow, this is really great, as it is for the client. You know, the person, you know, both team, both parties are that excited. We've done our job. Yeah, that that's really, really cool. So, uh, Jason, I think we're going to have you back on for another topic, you know, down the road sometime. Sure. Sure. I really appreciate your being with us. No problem. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for being on the show, Jason. Take care. You too. Bye bye. Well, Tim, that was awesome. Every, every part of it. I love the change order process. It was eye-opening, in-depth, and uh, I love that last part about working with the architect as if they were a client, too. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's kind of a unique vision. A lot of people, as I kind of indicated throughout the whole thing, are looking at this like they're the enemy. And uh, I think if you can get your team getting to think about them as, as one of your clients. That's a, that's a big thing. That's a large separation between the high end remodeler and, and everyone else is looking at either the client, your subs and architect as people that you're working against to get the product. It's always working with through in-depth yes. communication, always client to, and you're just working yeah. to produce this beautiful product so important yeah so there was one thing that jason mentioned early on that was slipped right by and that was they had a leadership retreat yeah i just want to emphasize you know that one of the great things that companies can do is to get their leadership team not just the owner sitting in a closet trying to figure out what's going on yeah but get those significant players in there but then i think as i kind of indicated toward the end there it's the documentation it's the communication. And as I suggested in the introduction, it's not more so, it's just different in that architect design build situation versus everything is kept in-house. Everybody has to have great communication, great documentation. It just changes the dynamic a little bit when it involves an architect. Yeah. Well, I'll be excited to have him on again. And so we want to thank Jason Stearns for joining us today. And we always want to thank you for listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And remember, we're helping the bottom line through production training. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com slash consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.